Like, not a, when I was growing up, not a, you know, in the last year, like, no, period. I cannot recall seeing my mum or dad ever kiss. You're constantly just turned on as, as a teenager, and, and it's not that I needed to hear specific things, I just needed to have a safe space to have that conversation. I mean, just something as simple as if Tinder had a slider on how often you want to have sex. Refreshingly real, refreshingly honest, refreshingly human. A podcast about human connections, shared experiences, and finding that line of humanity with your host, Hannah Pillow. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Refreshingly Human. We are on a brand new season. I can't believe it. Season six or season five? Where are we? The time's just flying. <laughs> but this season, we are going to be talking all about sex. And I am so psyched for this. Um, I have with me today, full, it's full Drysdale. Is that, am I saying that right? Drysdale. Drysdale. Yeah. You're awesome. Pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Actually debated this with another listener of yours. And we were like, how do we say his name? <laughs> now <funny>. I know. <laughs> Amazing. Hi, full. How are you? I'm I'm okay. Yeah, I'm good. I, I've got some weird health things I've been battling the last kind of month or so, but I'm I'm alive and I can't complain. Um, so yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, I mean it's pretty amazing to see that you're still like kicking ass and carrying on with stuff, even though you've got these um these health things going on. So that's great. You just don't have a choice sometimes. Well, I guess we always have a choice, but uh, I I like to just uh yeah try and stay positive, try and stay focused on well what is what is it I can do and yeah. Yeah, we, we it's what, what we can control, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Obsessing over the things that we cannot control, just not helpful. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's it's not a good idea. I do that really well. That's my default. And so I am learning as I go. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's our human <laughs> default. Um, yeah, like today is a Monday and um, I didn't sleep well last night. And I, anyone who asks me how am I doing today, my default answer is I feel like I'm having one of those days where nothing is worth it and I just want to crawl into bed. Yep. <laughs> That's how I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's amazing how we can kind of frame our whole existence based off of like one kind of idea or the idea that having a bad night's sleep means I'll have a bad day. Does it? <laughs> Does it mean that? Like, is that always true? It's, it's um, just... Uh, yeah. It's just that I get cranky when I don't sleep. So yeah. I wake up cranky and then I'm just like, oh, I just want this day to be over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know I could turn things around if I really wanted to, but I just don't have the energy today. Yeah. I try and remind myself of the Zen ideal that there is no past, there is no pre future, there is only the moment. And so I'm not, it's impossible to have a bad day because a day is kind of this made up reality. Like the future doesn't exist, the next few hours don't exist, they won't exist until they're the present moment. And the past doesn't exist. I literally am just remembering the past in the present moment. And so really this very moment, when I choose to say I'm having a bad day, what I mean is I'm having a bad moment. Mm. And the next moment I can choose to go, hey, what if I chose to have a good moment right now? Exactly. And uh, that helps me a lot because <laughs> I, I am really good at creating a whole story about my day when really <laughs> I could choose to have a good moment right now. If, if, I, if I really focus on just this moment, can I find some good in this moment? 
yeah, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love that. I guess um, for me though, I don't I don't focus on the bad day. What I focus is on hey, what maybe I just need to switch off today. Uh, maybe I just yeah. need to be sitting here and watching YouTube videos until it's time to record and not stress that I haven't done anything. And <laughs> that's that's just what I need today. That's okay. <laughs> Those are the best days. Those are the good days when you listen to your body and you know what you need. <laughs> exactly, right. Well, anyway, let's get on topic. We are talking about sex today and it's so cool because I've been on full uh I've been on your podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, we we did kind of touch on sex a little. So I was like, hey, Phil, you got to come on to my season about sex because you're so open and honest talking about it. And I listened to the episode you recommended, um, the one where you spoke to, I think it was a sex therapist. Yes. Was it one with uh, Rachel Alba? Yes, I think, yeah, that was the or one. There was another one with um, a woman called Dr. Tina Shermer. No, I think it was Rachel. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, it, it was the one where you spoke about wanting to paint your nails and not. Yes, I love it. Yeah. Did, did you get there? <laughs> did you ever get to painting your nails? I haven't. I haven't. More than anything, it's the, it's the, it's the effort, and it's the upkeep, mm. and it's all the other things. I'm like, actually, you know what? The more I think about this, the more I'm quite content yeah. with my gender roles <laughs> that have been placed on me that require me to do very little to upkeep my body and my looks. Yeah, no, I get <laughs> But I, I like color. I like I like wearing fun, bright colors. I know it doesn't show today. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I love stuff like that. So the idea of getting to paint my nails a different color every now and again and do something like that, I, I'd love that sort of thing. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could treat yourself to one self-manicure, I guess. I mean, I, I get there what you go. mean, though, because I love painting my nails. And this I've just done recently, last night. Right. But after ages, because I haven't painted it for so long, because like you said, it takes time to sit down and do it and you can't do anything else for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. A- I'm not. I'm not good at doing sitting around doing. And also, I'm the most clumsy person I know. So I'm constantly. I've got like ten cuts and burns on my finger just from cooking meals the last week. And so the idea of like shipping my nails to bits within about three seconds of doing them, oh, I don't know if I can deal with that heartache. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, getting cuts all over your hand, hand sanitizer must sting on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I'm not doing much hand sanitizer because I work from home and I've been isolating. So we were in lockdown, and so. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm just washing hands at the sink, so it's less less of an issue. But awesome! So c- cut your fingers all you want then. <laughs> it, it's great. I can cut my fingers all day. Yeah, no, probably not good. I probably need to learn some knife skills, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump into it. I think we've kept the listeners waiting and on edge. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> talk about sex. Okay, okay. We do, we're talking about sex now. <laughs> so, Phil, I wanted to start every episode by just going into growing up in your household, what were the conversations or what were Mm. the not conversations that were happening around sex? Sure. I mean, I grew up in quite a conservative Christian home in the UK. And um, generally speaking, sex was not on the table. I didn't, I don't, I can honestly say I cannot remember seeing my mom or dad kiss, period. Like not a, when I was growing up, not a, you know, in the last year, like no, period. I cannot recall seeing my mom or dad ever kiss. Um, didn't, don't remember see them hugging, kind of like playing around, any of that. So like, it just wasn't on the table. You know, there just wasn't a conversation around this. It, it, it didn't happen. Um, I sure they had a great sex life. In fact, talking to my, my dad or my mom uh, in more recent years, I know they did. It's, it's great. Um, but that just wasn't on the table as far as an option to talk about growing up. We, we didn't talk about sex. It was this kind of unspoken thing. 
Um, and generally speaking, there wasn't even a, um, even having like the talk, that's not really on the table either. Um, that was a thing that was kind of like given over to like the, the church youth group would always have like a lot of focus on sex and purity and these kind of concepts that were very common in kind of conservative Christian backgrounds. And so it was kind of almost given to the church to educate your children on sex. Um, and so we really didn't talk about sex. I had one talk about, with my dad about sex my entire life. I think I was 15 and I was going out the back door. I was going to go to play with some friends, go around to their house. I mean, 15 years old, I don't know what I was going to do, go play football in the, in the streets or play video games at someone's house, something like that, you know? And so I'm leaving the house and my dad, he's making a meal in the kitchen. He stops and he goes, hey, Phil. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you know what sex is, right? And I'm like, 15 year old boy. Um, now, in, in all, all fairness, I was a 15 year old boy that was very introverted, very shy, very underdeveloped, had barely started puberty at this point. Like I, I was not your like usual 15 year old boy. Um, but still, I thought it was, it was a pretty harsh question. <laughs> he's like, so you know what sex is? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay. He's like, and you know to use a condom? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, do you want to talk any more about this? And I was like, no. He's like, okay. And I just left the house. And that was it. That was the entire extent of the conversation of sex with my with my father. Um, that I just didn't have any kind of uh, input on what is sex? What is sexuality? What is a healthy um, orientation towards sex? Um, what should our sexual ethics be? Uh, any of these kind of things. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I didn't have that from my, my family upbringing. Yeah, I mean, totally. I can I can relate to a lot of that, and I just I know I just have to say this because you keep saying the phrase um, "sex wasn't on the table," and I just keep having this <laughs> image of having sex on a table. Okay, we've <laughs> all done. Yeah, we've all been there, right? <laughs> I just want to interrupt you listening for a brief second, just to remind you to check out my social media pages. I'm on Instagram as Refreshingly Human Podcast and Facebook as Refreshingly Human. You can also check me out on LinkedIn as Hannah Pillow. And if you are enjoying the episode, please don't forget to take a screenshot of yourself listening to the episode and share it on your own social media. Don't forget to tag me so I can see that love for Refreshingly Human. Now I'll let you get back to the episode. back to um so you you said you never had like a healthy conversation about sex growing up Mm. um so what was your relationship as a teenage boy with sex growing up like what were your thoughts and your emotions and your like you know your your dad was like oh i you know do you want to talk about it and you're like ah you no way dad so what were the thoughts yeah yeah yeah. There, there was like i was seriously messed up um with my orientation towards sex, towards my own um, sexual drives, any of that stuff was really, really messed up because my parents were so um, shut down about this area of life and because the church was so um, vocal about how wrong sex was before marriage, which was the position of most conservative churches you'll find in Christianity will have that position. You can't have sex before marriage. You can't do much before marriage, but we don't talk about that because that's even more taboo to kind of go into details. Um, But all that was kind of talked about um, within the church was just like sex is evil and sex is wrong unless you're married. And then suddenly, as soon as like, you know, the second you get married, like it's perfect and it's the best thing in the world. And so that's a psychological twist for a lot of people to go through anyway. 
But um, growing up as a teenager, that doesn't change the fact that you hit puberty and hormones are like, hey, hi, I'm here. You have an erection. I know it's been three seconds since your last erection, but I'm back. You know, like that was just being a teenager, right? I mean, any teenage boy will empathize with the fact that your body is going, hi, I am really excited. And it's because I looked at a water bottle or because I was crossing the street and that car made me think of a boob. I, I mean, literally, it doesn't matter. Like you're constantly just turned on as, as a teenager. And yet all the signals you're getting, your parents aren't talking about sex. They're, they're kind of like hush-hushing it. They're making sure there's no sex in any TV that you see or movies. Um, the church is telling you it's evil. And yet your body is constantly going, I am horny as hell and I want to have sex or I want to masturbate or I want to fulfill this drive of some sort, you know, find some sort of um, uh, solution to this hormonal imbalance that I've got. And so you lived in these kind of guilt and shame cycles because naturally I did before long, I discovered porn um, and that was my only option as far as engaging with any form of sexuality. I learned everything I know about sex through porn. Could you think of a more damaging way to learn about sex? I mean, that's some, I mean, I'm sure there, there are ethical forms of porn that can be a lot more from the female gaze and can be a lot more educational. But generally speaking, this is not what 15, 14 year old Phil was looking for. Um, and so I, I just didn't have a healthy relationship because then what would happen is I was, I would get turned on, I'd sneak off somewhere, I'd, I'd look at a dirty magazine or I'd go on the internet and take four hours to load one image, you know, like back in the day when, you know, the, it was dial up and it took 20 minutes and images would like slowly load on your screen, like line by line. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was, I was a patient watcher of porn these days. Um, but, uh, you know, you do that and then you would have this huge overwhelming wave of guilt and shame and oh gosh you're so terrible you're evil you're dirty god is disappointed with you god will not be able to forgive you all these kind of thoughts that eventually you would then go no god forgives me and and you know and you'd kind of figure that out but often you're you're in such cycles that you're doing this a couple of times a day sometimes mm. um, and so it was it was a really traumatic experience actually and, and and in my work i work with people that are in the process of leaving different kind of um, institutional religions and, and questioning their spirituality. And I deal with thousands of people, thousands of people a year that are going through this um, and have been deeply traumatic, like traumat traumatized, my words, traumatized. <laughs> traumatized. Um, and, and really have a lot of sexual hangups because of this kind of cycle that was going on. They're told that the their sexual urges are evil and, and yet they are still at the mercy of trying to figure out their bodies and, and learn as they're growing up and they're not given any method of learning healthily. Maybe in school a little bit, they would have got a bit of sexual education. Um, but honestly, at our age, there wasn't that much great sexual education then. I mean, even now, I'm not sure how good sexual education is in schools, I'm, I don't know. Uh, but I, I imagine it's lacking. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know either. And. Um... Like, uh, I'm not sure about you, Phil, but growing up, I went to a um, a Muslim school growing up and we definitely had a lack of sexual education because it was like, you know, it's like yeah. a taboo thing. To the, the, like, like similar to you, it's like the only thing they'll say is that you cannot do it until you're married. It's a sacred mm -hmm. bond between a husband and a wife. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's a whole other thing and it's actually really interesting for me to hear the perspective of a male um growing up in a similar situation because mm. it's can you imagine there would be similarities to the experience but 
also vast differences because of, yeah. you know, being a male. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so what would you have liked to be told about sex growing up? Like, and who would you have liked to have told you that? Like, would you have liked to have that coming from your parents or from your teachers? It's it's a hard one. I mean, it's 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 fine in hindsight to look back, right? And go, this is what <laughs> I should have been told, and this was where I was going to get my sexual hangups, and this is where a weird thing was going to develop or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if my parents were in a place where they could have had that kind of conversation. And so I don't know if I would have wanted to learn from my parents because I probably would have, like my dad, he probably would have been able to talk to me a bit more about sex, but I did not want to hear more about come because there was no normalcy in that. Mm. Um, so I mentioned at the beginning, um, Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers. Um, she's a sexologist. She, she works with people in, in the area of, of healthy sexual kind of um, orientation and, and understanding. And she says that they've done studies on parents to children's relationships. And the number one correlation to having a healthy relationship with your parents when you are an adult is if they talk to you throughout your childhood about sex. And so I think if my parents had been talking to me about sex throughout my childhood, there would have been this level of vulnerability and openness and transparency that we could have had those kind of conversations. They could have said, hey, Phil, it's really normal that you're having these sexual urges right now. There's different ways that you're going to want to explore that. And some of them are going to be healthy. Some of them are going to be less healthy. We're really happy for you to figure that out. We're here if you want to talk about that. Or we can talk, put you in touch with someone. We've got some friends or maybe um, there's some slightly older, um, you know, young adults that you might feel more comfortable talking to or whoever it might have been at that age. Um, I, I think having some sort of signposts would have been tremendously helpful. Being able to be told, look, it's really normal that these urges are happening. This happens to everyone. And it doesn't happen to everyone because they're deeply evil and, you know, whatever it's it's a natural part of the process and it's also really important and natural to experiment with that and mm. and figure out what is my my sex drive what is my sexuality what do i like what do i not like these are really important things that when you show up and you do bring it to the table right when you do go oh, i'm i'm married now or i'm in a committed relationship or whatever it might be right but in that context i was only going to ever imagine this being married as a as a young kid growing up in a conservative home. So, oh, but when I get married, it's suddenly gonna be okay. But I'm gonna have to magically know how to do this, what I like, what I don't like, how to communicate. Even learning to communicate about my sexual desires, what I like, what I didn't like, um, was so hard for me when I first got mm -hmm. married. I didn't, I, 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 there was so much shame, right? Anything I did want to do, I was like, oh God, can I even say, it? oh God, what are they gonna think about me? Or any really normal stuff as well. Um, and not even to shame anything that's abnormal, right? I mean, yeah, you yeah. do you if it's consensual and enjoyable. Um, but I just think there was so much like thrown onto that that didn't need to be. That, that if there had been conversations and, and it's not that I needed to hear specific things, I just needed to have a safe space to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not putting that on my parents because frankly, they just weren't in a place to have that conversation, weren't in a place. They themselves were, you know, in this, you know, conservative Christian bubble that only allowed for certain views of Christianity, of um, sexuality and sex. Um, so of course they weren't equipped to kind of have these conversations with their kids. Um, but it sure would have been nice to have some people in my life to have that, which I only found much, much later on. Even things like, hey, like, 
how your libido is going to be different than other people's. And so mm-hmm. something talking about the male-female difference um, that we hear. So in the church, we're frequently told men just are constantly horny. They want to have sex nonstop. And they're just basically penises running around <laughs> with arms and legs. Um, and they're just going to have sex with anything that moves. Women don't show anything. You know, barely. <laughs> Women I mean, don't you would understand sex. this from an Islamic yeah. background, Women right? It's like, don't sex. show your <laughs> knees or people will like, you know, be unable to control themselves or whatever but so so what happens is women feel a lot of shame and all sorts of stuff about you know their bodies they feel they, they start to reject their bodies they, they feel shame about it all sorts of different stuff they feel guilt or whatever and guys are told that oh, i have no control anyway so like you know this is just who i am which is not a very healthy thing but what's interesting about it as well is when it comes to libidos um men are told you are this insatiable animal so by the time you get married, you're just going to be able to have sex nonstop all the time. It'll be great. And women, you're not particularly very sexually orientated. You just want to talk and to cuddle. Um, and so you're not going to want to have sex, but you're going to have to do it, which, by the way, is rape. We should just address that. Um, anyway, um, but what's fascinating about that is it's not true. It's just not true. That That is two massive extremes of libido that largely aren't massively present. Very few people never want to have sex or constantly want to have sex. I don't care how good sex is. I want it 24-7, right? Maybe the teenage me did. Um, But generally speaking, that's not true. But what's interesting is in um, couples, they find that actually one third of couples, um, give or take, it's about 33% um, of couples, the females have a higher libido than the males. And so then you've got a whole bunch of issues. So I myself, in both my marriages I've been in, I've got a lower libido than my partner. And so what happens, it's easy to happen at least, is then you go, oh, I'm supposed to be wanting to have sex. Was there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with this relationship? Is there something wrong with my my wife or me or wife? And then the females that are told, oh, you're never supposed to want to have sex. Well, they grow up from a teenage girl all the way through and into their marriage questioning their selves and they go oh is there something wrong with me i'm actually quite sexual i would like to have sex or i want to masturbate often and i am horny and i want to explore my sexuality and everyone's telling me that i shouldn't have that drive and so these kind of conversations need to happen we have Mm -hmm. to talk about this is normal this is this is what it looks like and there's a whole spectrum of reality here and you're going to fall somewhere in that spectrum and wherever you fall that's okay it really is yeah and i love that you spoke about that uh, and you know, I love this about you, Phil. I love that you got you bring this data to your conversations because that's something yeah, I can't I, help it. <laughs> you, no, that's something I'm like really lacking in my life is I really need to get more into the data or stuff. But I'm so glad you mentioned that because um, um, there's another thought that I just wanted to get out there that um, females might think about if they the ones with the higher sex drive. And this is something that I used to think about myself because I grew up with a low self esteem and I grew up with um, not not feeling like an attractive woman, one of the thoughts that came into my head when I realized I was always the one with a higher sex drive was that, do I only attract men who are not like, you know, like not like don't are not like attracted to highly attracted females, right. and that's why they mm. don't want to have sex as much. And that's the thought that goes into your your head. And of course, now I know that's not the case. That's you right. know, but it is something that did cross my mind, uh, and yeah. it, I tied it with my self esteem um, for a long time. Um, yeah. And and it's also because of how we were conditioned growing up to believe certain things, to believe that men want sex all the time. Yeah. So if they don't, <laughs> there must be something wrong with me. Like, exactly. That's such an, and, and it's not even like, 
you know, it's kind of laughable in a sense when we look back on it, but you go back into those moments, of course a young girl growing up is going to think that. Mm. that. Of course, that is a logical conclusion to draw. Well, if I've been told all men want to have sex all the time and then I get married and my husband doesn't want to have sex all the time, he still wants to have sex sometimes for sure, but I want to have sex more and they don't. Well, am I unattractive? Did they not really care? Is he having some sort of relationship on his side? Because he must be having sex all the time. So who's he having sex with? Or, you know, all this sort of stuff on some level is very logical. Um, if you've lived in this kind of like world where there's been no education, no data, no, um, yeah, no understanding of what a normal relationship looks like, which will be completely unique, of course, right? <laughs> Um, and we need to get rid of these and, and, and there's so much shame around it because we don't talk about it right so even like you're mentioning there like oh I don't know if my partner wants you know anyone to know that and I'm like but why like why because I I'm the same right I'm like gosh I don't know if I should tell people I have a low libido like why why would that be something to be ashamed of yeah because like, we tie that's... it to we tie it to masculinity and that's we not do. really you know so it's not it's like you just said it's not really it, I, I feel like it maybe on some level might be male-female thing, but I think it's a personality-driven thing more mm -hmm. than anything because I know, like, my personality is very dominating. I have a dominating personality, and I think that my sexuality ties in with that, you know, and yep. that's just connected to each other. So I think sure. that it has a lot to do with our personality, the way we yeah. our libido is linked. Yeah. And um, even then, if it is tied to masculinity... So what? Like, why do I need to be more masculine? Is because masculine is better? Just yeah. highlighting my biases, right? Yeah. That I'm and somehow terrified of having more femininity in me yeah. than masculinity. Like, and what, what is masculinity anyway? It's something we, right. we we kind of made up, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. it's just it's 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 so much. Is there so much shame in all of this stuff? And I think that's what more than anything that's what the lack of conversation about this has bred um in me that i've had to kind of walk through and, and navigate and in the vast majority of people i work with you know thousands upon thousands of people i've seen having to go through mm. all kinds of um sometimes as much as complex post-traumatic stress over this kind of stuff um mm. uh, where there's such cycles of guilt and shame um, associated with their body, with their sex drive, with their sexuality. I mean, don't even get started on sexuality and religion, right? I mean, that's a whole other thing. But, mm. you know, there's so much shame and guilt there that needs to be kind of cured and healed. And it's so easy to avoid if we just have the conversations. You know, that's why it's such an yeah. important thing for you to be doing these conversations on the podcast. No, absolutely. And I just want to also just go back a bit, like when you said um, that you know, you spoke about your parents and what, like not having those conversations. And of course, we don't blame the last generation. I totally would you there. I totally agree that there's no, at this moment, I don't think we have that, we have to go back and blame anyone. But I think that having that retrospect uh, is a great thing to be able to change the patterns going forward. And that's something exactly. really important that we need to address, which is why mm. I want to explore that question, you know, and be like, so what would you have wanted? Because if we sp speak about what we would have wanted, we can create that for the yeah. next generation. Because I'm not sure if you plan on having kids one day, or mm -hmm. maybe you have little nephews and nieces, <laughs> but we want to try and change the dialogue for the next generation. Absolutely, absolutely. I think normalizing the human experience is so important. And I think um, generally speaking, most of us uh, grew up in a world where 
the human experience was somewhat um, pigeonholed into a black and white experience. There, there was a lot more rules about what it was to be human, what it was to be a man, what it was to be a woman, what it was to be a Christian, what it was to be a British person, an American. What, we have so many rules about this is what you... And, and then, of course, so many people don't fit in these boxes, you know? And so yeah. Which we is feel why... terrible because... Yeah, which is why I named I named this podcast Refreshingly Human is exactly mm. because of what you just said. You know, it's um, yeah. for me, my major black and white growing up was good versus evil. There was like this thick good versus evil. And I always had to fit into one of those boxes. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. but totally. We got to we got to break those barriers. And they are already breaking. We got to address them, I yeah. think. Yeah, but I think on the whole, I think with what's been shown um, with parenting as far as like raising kids, because I think about this a lot because I do want to have kids at some point. Um, but what's been shown, the data that is shown is that generally speaking, you don't have to worry about what to talk about with your kids. They'll talk with you about what needs to be talked about if you create that safe space, if you're open, if you're open about your own sexuality, if you're open about your own um, lives. That's that. See that. Even that will bring up like, you know, hackles on people's back. Just going. Wait, what? Talk to my kids about having sex. It's like, yeah. Obviously, make that age appropriate. But I think it's important for you to be able to talk to your kids and go, hey guys, me and mom are going to the bedroom and we're going to have our private time right now. You can go read your book. You can do whatever. But it's important that we have our special time to connect and and have sex. And that's something that we do as grown ups. And and that's good. And there's different ways you can talk about that, look at that. But let's uh, the the sexologist talking about Tina Shermersella. She's got lots of stuff on how to do that really well and healthily. But again, that is proven again and again and again to instill in a kids that when they hear at eight years old someone say the word blowjob or something, and they come home, they they are going to come home and go, "Hey, mom, someone said blowjob. What is that? Can you explain that?" And to be able to go, "Yeah, sure. This is what it means. What do you, what do you, what does that make you think?" And just to have a conversation. Kids are going to talk about that stuff if they feel safe to talk about that stuff. But you know what? If no one ever mentions sex in the house, you never even see mom and dad kiss. They hush, hush. They they go, oh, oh gosh, look at the people kissing on TV. Don't look at that. Like, you know, Phil or whatever. Um, that's going to make you realize mom and dad are not the people to have the conversation about blowjobs over. Mm. Right? <laughs> Let's be honest. This is not the conversation. It's going to be awkward as hell if we have this conversation. <laughs> uh, because they don't know how to have a conversation about the fact that I don't know, two people in the TV show we watched just went home at night and then it, the cut scene was they were having breakfast the next day. They don't even know how to talk about that, right? <laughs> it's like, how are we going to have a proper conversation about sexuality? Um, and so I think that we're already seeing a lot of the change that needs to take place because I think this generation is becoming more open, more vulnerable, more transparent in the way that we live our lives. And I think hopefully that will naturally occur as we as we raise the next generation and we are going to be talking about sex and and raising them to ask questions and, and feel safe to explore um sex with their their family units so it's so much better that they talk about safe people that love them and care for them and want the best for them um and hopefully aren't indoctrinating them in the next black and white box because we all probably are living in some of those Oh yeah, hell yeah! Everyone lives in one box or the other for sure. Um, yeah, no, I love that. Um, I, I definitely think that you know, parenting a whole other topic, which I would love to cover on this podcast as well. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, I love what you said about you know the child will come to you, and I've I've actually seen that so much so many times mm. where you know you see that kids are so naturally curious 
that they do. I, I remember myself as a kid, I used to ask so many questions and I used to get shut down a lot. And you see the kids now, they, the questions they come up with, they're just so curious. They want to know everything. Yeah. And if we address them and we talk to them, they'll keep coming back 100%. Uh, so, Phil, I want to go back to your story. Like, So you had like maybe an unhealthy relationship with sex growing up. So what mm -hmm. happened, if you if you care to say a little bit about like when you did get ma married for the first time, what, what sure. was your experience like then? Uh, I'm pretty sure much like anyone else is pretty crap initially. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone's because it literally was my first time having sex. I, I'd probably experimented in a whole host of other areas sexually um, and the whole conversation of what sex is, but sexual intercourse it was my first time and so it was messy it was confusing it was pretty crap probably for both parties um and i had to learn and figure out what i was doing but so did my partner who also grew up in this environment so we both largely didn't understand our bodies largely didn't understand what we were doing um didn't really have many people to overly talk to because we both had so much shame over stuff like this so we didn't know how to have those conversations so then you're trying to self-learn you're like i don't know looking up online or you know asking in subreddits on reddit or something going oh what should i do help or buying books and and all these things are really good things they're great things it's amazing the resources we have today right so we're thinking of a young kid that doesn't can't ask their parents because they're in a super strict religious home well they can type into google and then they'll go oh cool there's a refreshingly honest uh, you know uh, Refreshingly human podcasts and talking about sex cool I can click on it and I listen to it and a, a young kids can have really helpful healthy information like that which we mm -hmm. just didn't have access to that kind of stuff growing up um, and so that's that's good and, and and I think it was really helpful for me that I had a lot of those things but it really was a process of figuring myself out figuring out as well that like I think in a lot of ways I had on my shoulders this weight of like you're supposed to want to have sex all the time you're supposed to do this all the time and and felt a lot of shame felt like guilt i'm like going am i gay or something i'm like i'm not at all attracted to men and <laughs> i'm definitely attracted to my wife but i'm like why do i only want to have sex a couple times a week or once a week or once every three weeks or whatever it is you know even that is going to shift and change over time depending on whatever right mm. stress and life and all sorts of different things um but those questions are just hounding me from every angle because all of it is brand new um and so it was a really it was a confusing and complex time and it was a great time i loved having sex and i loved exploring and i loved it, it getting better over time and figuring out what to do and oh gosh this can last over one minute this is amazing you know <laughs> or whatever um it, you know these are all like natural parts of figuring out sex you know mm. um and and i think that was um painful great hard easy everything, everything and anything was kind of wrapped into that um whole experience um but yeah it was it was a lot um and so yeah i i think gosh yeah i could tell you i don't know i don't know where you want to go with that but like yeah <laughs> it, it, it was it was it was hard it was it was a really hard um running and hitting the floor and even just things like um so something that happens a lot with people that grew up in religious homes that have a lot of cycles of shame associated with their sex drive because what happens is they um they know that sex is bad and they shouldn't have a sex drive and they certainly shouldn't masturbate or watch porn or anything like that and so what happens is they go through these cycles as they're teenagers and they they go oh, i'm horny so i'll watch porn and i masturbate and i have an orgasm and then the second i have an orgasm i'm no longer driven by this this horniness and i i don't have 
terrible pervert evil like how stupid are you you fell for it again you know god's so disappointed that sort of stuff is the language you have every time you orgasm for like five years six years a decade you can bet you're going to bring some real hang-ups to the bedroom right Mm -hmm. so even just that going i just had really healthy good sex with my wife and yet afterwards i'm feeling shame what why what is that Mm -hmm. oh it's because you don't just flick the switch and it suddenly is as easy as that You're, you're bringing a whole bunch of institutionalized shame to the party mm. um, and so things like that had to be dealt with I had to look at that and explore that and, and honestly I don't know if I really dealt with uh, most of this stuff and got through it until I was into my second marriage if not right before my second marriage like it took me a long time to kind of deal with a lot of these hang-ups of course it got better yeah uh, and drastically better but I don't think I was kind of mostly free from some of this stuff for gosh a decade it was a long long time yeah, that's really interesting. I think, I think like for me, it was like the the first marriage. Definitely, there was a lot of that going on in the first marriage. But by the time I was in my second relationship, I kind of managed to get through it very quickly <laughs> with my second partner. And I think that has a lot to do with him as well, and and just mm. the type of person that he is, and the yeah. the open conversations we could have. Um, that really helped me to to work through a lot of stuff yeah. really fast. So I was quite yeah. lucky in that way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want to go back a little bit to what you said about like not knowing what you like when, you know, like, um, you know, when you coming from a very strict background of not having like sexual relations before marriage, you don't know who you are sexually. You don't know what you liked sexually. And that I feel like that is something that could go it could play out either way you know like especially mm-hmm. when we get married really young so I don't know how old were you when you got married your, the first time uh I was 23 24 okay. it's quite old like okay. for considering I yeah. never had sex any of that like so yeah yeah uh, a lot of 18. conservative Christians it's like yeah exactly you're like yeah oh, you're just desperate to have sex so you just make some terrible choices basically yeah, I, was, I was 18 <laughs> And, um, yeah, I mean, not even knowing your sexual self at at 18, you don't even know yourself at all. And absolutely. Yeah. I feel like this kind of thing, it could go either way, right? It could go Mm -hmm. like really well and you could grow with your partner sexually and you could find out that you do have the same things or it could go the complete other way. And you just, and I think that this actually is not just something that happens with people who come from conservative backgrounds. I think it, It comes. It also comes from people who come from maybe a background where they never spoke about sex, and so they could they don't feel comfortable speaking about sex with their partner. And yeah. so, while into the relationship, they figure out that hey, we have way different sexual um, experience, you know, sexual desires, or you know, we we don't fit sexually. Yeah. And what would, would, would have you experienced this in your line of work, Phil? Yeah, loads. And and yeah, and even like probably my first marriage, I would say like largely we were just not sexually very compatible. Like, you know, we had very different drives, very different desires. Like it, it just was very different. Um, and a lot of it was I had my own hang ups and all kinds of issues I had to work through. I, I, I'm certain I would have been a very different person if you could inject me back into that marriage 15 years ago. Um, but that's not going to happen. Um, and 
I, I definitely come into the second relationship very different. I'm starting to understand my desires and my and whatever, and I know a bit more about myself. Um, and uh, my second marriage, even I should say. Um, I think very often you see in these kind of environments where people get into a relationship at an early age, like you said, it doesn't have to be um, a conservative Christian and they get married even. It can just be that you get into a relationship at 16, 17 or whatever and you kind of end up with that person for 10 years because you're kind of a loyal, faithful person. You do genuinely love this person. You don't have experience of having sex with anyone else. You don't really know anything different. And you go, yeah, this is just what it should be. And over time you start to realize, gosh, we are so incompatible in this one area. Um, and yet I had no real way of knowing that. And I'm not saying that you have to sleep with 20 people to know if you're who you're compatible with or not either. Like I, that's not necessarily the case. You can, you figure out who you're compatible with or not by not sleeping with anyone, <laughs> just figuring out your own body and having good, healthy conversations with different people, right? Um, I mean, just something as simple as if Tinder had a slider on how often you want to have sex. Like that would immediately help people to go, oh, cool. We're probably not going to get on very well, right? I want it once a month. You want it once a day. Let's probably not even start, right? I mean, like just, I, that's an extreme example, but like it's, and it's maybe silly, but it's also like, that's an idea, a, a, a point of how a conversation can help just eradicate an issue. Because mm -hmm. you get married to that person and you're going to have a bad time. Both those people are going to have a really, really bad time at not their fault or the fault of the other person, right? Mm -hmm. It's just it's it's just a bad time, um, and so I think a lot of people get into these convers uh, into these um, situations because they um, haven't experienced anything, they haven't explored their own sexuality, they haven't talked about their sexuality, they haven't talked about um, sex with other people, um, and so even going into relationships, they don't have these kind of conversations. It's just kind of awkwardly like bumbles into it and. Then we're kind of going to sit with it. Um, yeah. And so I think, yeah, having conversations is probably the biggest thing that um, that's helped me in my area, in my life, and in my line of work and helping other people figure that sort of thing out. Um, it's, it's having open conversations, which is really hard. It, it's, of course, it's, even if you grow up fairly healthy, this can be hard. It can be hard talking about sex. It's, 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 it's vulnerable. It's, it's, it's scary. Like people are going to judge you and you're, you're worried about what they think of you. And that's normal. Like it really is. But I think we have to push through that if we're going to get somewhere healthy. No, really for do. sure. Absolutely. Communication is so important. And I think that even um, from my experience, even people who haven't married young, you know, people who have sexual relations before marriage, they, um, you know, they have, they have all the things maybe we didn't have growing up, but because the conversations don't come naturally to them, they might find themselves in a similar situation as well, yeah. um, just because they don't know how to have these conversations openly. So I definitely think that communication is something we need to rewind, go back to, reflect on, and learn how to do in every area of yeah. our life, not just with sexuality. Uh, I think we highly underestimate sexual compa compatibility in a relationship. It's yeah. definitely not spoken about enough. Um, yeah. And even in like very uh, progressive parts of the world, you look at something like um, Hollywood, right? We often think of Hollywood as a very progressive thing and it's very on the cutting edge of like talking about all sorts of things. When was the last time you saw a movie where the, the couple got together and they just weren't sexually compatible and they had a conversation about it and you know that's yeah. never happens never. Right? maybe I, occasionally there's I'm a couple of really about, great movies out there but yeah i'm thinking about <laughs> gerald's game which is weird have you seen that one 
No. No, it's not. It's not really. They don't talk about sex. It's complete opposite. It it starts off with this really weird sex scene of a fantasy that the husband never described to his wife before, and right. he just started playing it out, and she was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 But that's that's so normal, right? It's, it's so normal when we don't talk about these things. That uh, gosh, we all have weird like things that we're like, "Well, that'd be kind of fun," or "This would be interesting," and yet like. Where is this going to come from? If you just come out of left field, that might be amazing. It might be really great. It might be wonderful. Everyone loves surprises and whatever. Well, not everyone. But, you know, like that's great. But, like, generally speaking, having conversations, talking about these things, being vulnerable, again, mm -hmm. it's scary to say, hey, I'd really like to handcuff you to the bed post. Or, hey, I'd love it if you smothered me in chocolate and licked it off my body or whatever it is. That's a vulnerable thing to say to someone. But gosh, if we can't do that with the person that we're in a committed relationship with, if 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 we can't be doing that, like, what what is this relationship, right? If I can't open myself to you, that's a that's that's concerning. Um, and and I say that still being not completely one hundred percent transparent with my wife about everything ever, because I still am occasionally going, oh gosh, what will she think? Like, so I, I'm not saying that to shame anyone. I think we all do it to some degree. Um, but I think, gosh, if there's anywhere we should be learning this, if there's anywhere that's safe to learn this, it's got to be here. Um, again, obviously, a lot of people um, out there might be in abusive relationships. Also, I, I, I'm not talking about that, of course. I'm talking about maybe, you know, a bit more of a healthy, safe yeah. relationship. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's the place to be trying this. Gosh, if we're, we're never going to be able to do it with our kids if we can't do it with our partner, right? We're never gonna be able to talk with our friends openly about this and talk, help them through their sex issues um, and tell them about our stuff if we can't do it with our partner. Like that's that's the person we should be doing it with the most for sure. Um, so yeah, I think. I think yeah, it's I mean, I'm not sure about you. Like after my first uh, marriage, um, I, I kind of became enlightened to how important sexual compatibility is in a relationship. Mm. And it is definitely something I, spoke openly about with my next partner because it was like something that I realized was very important to a relationship and I didn't I didn't realize that beforehand because of all the things I was told growing up you kind of yeah. I don't know like you kind of think about marriage like it's kind of spoken about like this magic spell where when you get married everything just Mm -hmm. it would just suddenly fix everything yeah it fixed like I, I actually remember one of my aunts telling me like I had an acne problem growing up and she was like oh when you get married it will it will get sorted out so I was like did she think that if I started having sex my acne would go away like is that what maybe she that was like some sort of reverse psychology where she was like that'll stop her having sex because then she'll think if I secretly have sex with anyone my acne will go away and everyone will know <laughs> I, I honestly don't know what she thought would happen like, that's really funny it's so funny i, I can i just oh, always I remember it. that but yeah they they do like you are we are thought that marriage is like the spell yeah and things are just gonna suddenly come right um, yeah. and if they which don't... is often the exact opposite right you get married and you realize holy crap i was struggling to figure out me now i have to figure out me and a whole other person, right? Like, what the heck? And the thing that's in between the middle of us, which is a whole other thing, right? This relationship, what is this? And I'm um, not sure about It's a your, whole new world. Definitely, I'm not sure about your culture, but for me, it was figuring out myself, figuring out this new person, sexuality, and also figuring out his whole entire fucking family. Family, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. I think that depends uh, a lot, but certainly in my first relationship, that was a, a dynamic. Um, yeah. It was. It was a great one, but uh, an interesting one. <laughs> an interesting one. No, I, I love it. I never. I never regret a minute of my first marriage. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Great experiences. Well, so full. I love this conversation. I really love how open you are with your. We're talking about sexuality, so I'm so glad that you came on. With all your work and your life experiences, if you had to pick like one takeaway that personally for you would ch- would be a game changer, what would that be? Gosh. Are we talking in sexuality or just in general across the board? Sexuality. Let's stick with sex. Yeah, gosh. Um, I'm just, I don't even know how to begin. Um, <laughs> such a such a hard question to think about. Um, I think generally speaking, it has to be learning to love yourself and learning to accept what is i think we we're constantly in a battle trying to fight what is and generally speaking what is is we need to learn to accept oh i want to have sex every eight days oh i want to have sex this amount of time oh i'm attracted to brunettes oh i'm attracted to men oh whatever it is learning to go gosh this is who i am and i need to learn that and love that um, and I think if we can if we can invest time to learn who we are and love who we are, um, and sometimes loving who we are means changing. Like sometimes we love who we are and that will grow and flourish and change. Like I'm not saying you know how you have to love yourself if you, I don't know, want to murder people or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> love yourself and that should hopefully result in murdering less people. Um, <laughs> but. <that> <laughs> or you know ideally no one but if we can get it down from 10 to 1 i think that's a big success um (laughs) um yeah i think that's a huge huge thing learning to love who you are if if we can do that and if the world can do that i think we would have a a sexual revolution we really would um you know so many of the people i talk to that are really broken sexually ultimately boils down to the fact that they they feel guilt and shame and embarrassment about who they are and, and their sexual you know sexuality their sexual kinks their sexual desires um when generally speaking i've not talked to anyone who has any reason to be embarrassed shamed or guilty mm. that you know that they're just it isn't there um and and so it's just heartbreaking heartbreaking mm. that that's the case i have never in looking back through my sexual experience and life i've never in retrospect being able to find anything that was like a reasonable thing to feel guilty and shame about and yet my life was like 20 percent guilt and shame like gosh i was like non-stop thinking I-, I thought about sex and and had wrapped a lot of my thoughts in my life around this guilt and shame about being sexually active and 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 having sexual desires and any of these things. that was a huge portion of my day-to-day thinking honestly Mm. way more than i ever spent actually doing anything about it i would think about how terrible i was um and so if we can start to undo that in people and and especially teenagers i grew up going what the heck is going on if we can help them learn gosh this is exciting it's fun it's it's good um and and if looked at in that way and and enjoyed um this could be an amazing thing a really really Mm. great thing absolutely i love that um definitely agree with that some that's deep <laughs> yeah um that that certainly was a big part of my journey for sure is learning to love myself it solves so many so many things in your life like from your sexuality to your self-confidence to 
your relationship with other people, you know, I think everything just starts with learning to love yourself. And it's such a, it's such a long journey to get there. I definitely think we do have to start helping others get there, uh, especially yeah. for those of us who are maybe a little bit more where we want to be <laughs> that way. Uh, we definitely need to help a hand to those who need it um, all for that. So yeah, Phil, would you like to tell my audience where they can find you and exactly what it is that you do as well? Sure. Uh, people that want to find me, I'm best found on Instagram. My name is just Phil Drysdale, um, one word. Uh, obviously one word on Instagram, but no underlines, no dots or anything. Um, that's the best place to find me. I'm happy to chat with people on Instagram via DM. You can find all my other links, my website, phildrysdale.com and things like that. But generally speaking, I'm helping people that are transitioning out of more often than not some form of Christianity, um, having experienced toxic faith, toxic Christianity, religious abuse, different things like that. And so if that's not your warehouse, you probably won't want to find me if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm, you know, I post memes and they're very, very funny. I'm a very funny person, but they're very niche. Unless you've been in a religious context, you're probably not gonna find them funny. And um, my different things I post and do are all geared around that. But if, if that is something that you are doing, if you're in religion and you're trying to figure your way out, if you have come out of religion and you're trying to explore spirituality, but not really sure how to do that outside of the confines of a religious box, I'd be happy to connect and chat with anyone. Um, but yeah, that's where people are best to find me. I love that. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a very niche thing and, and not for everyone. But what I loved about this conversation, Phil, is that without people even knowing that part about you, um, I'm sure there's so much that they could relate to in your stories um, mm. and your, your journey with with the sex with sexuality. You know, it's just again, it's such a human experience. We might come from different backgrounds, but I feel like there's just so much common ground in what we are all experiencing growing up. Yeah. The conversations that are being had or what like I like to say are not being had <laughs> growing up yeah. are all so similar. Um yet we we tend to think that it it's unique to us. Um yeah. there's so much similarity in what we've been not told growing up. Absolutely. Yeah. Big time. Big time yeah. for sure. Amazing. Well thank you again Phil so much uh for joining us and I will drop Thanks all of your me. links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Refreshingly Human with myself, Hannah Pillow. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, don't forget to share it with a friend you think would enjoy the content as well. You can also leave me a review on iTunes or podchaser.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Refreshingly Human Podcast, Facebook as Refreshingly Human, and LinkedIn as Hannah Pillow. And I'll see you guys on the next episode.